Hey podcast listeners, it's me, Kevin McCove, and you are listening to the McCove Mindset Podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Deborah Manis Gardner, the owner of DMG Clearances Incorporated. She was dubbed the queen of sample clearances by Forbes magazine, clearing samples for some of the biggest names in the industry, such as Eminem and Drake. She's been a great friend and a resource of mine over the years, and I would like to make some of her knowledge a resource for you. So let's get to it. You want to introduce yourself to everyone? Um, hi, I'm Deborah Manis Gardner, DMG Clearances, and uh, gosh, been in this business since 1990. So, what does DMG Clearances do? What could you talk to us about? What the company is first? Sure, DMG Clearances is a music rights company. We secure the rights of music that's used in film, television. Uh, Google, Facebook, video games like Grand Theft Auto, new technology, commercials, um, any place where music is used and you need to get permission, we will get that consent for whomever needs that. So what do you, for like an artist who is interested in like getting permission to use like a sample or, or mm-hmm. anything like that, so they will come to you? They would come to me. I mean, my specialty is sample clearances. I've been doing that since 1990. And so, yes, if you want to use a pre-existing copyright and incorporate it into a new song, um, you need to get permission from the publisher and from the label if you've used the original recording. So based on my experience and my relationships with everyone, I'm actually the go-to person to get that done. Like the person. Yeah, the person. Yeah, the person. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, because you're being modest right now. But um, what, so I have uh, a lot of contemporaries who are like in the world of hip-hop. And like on SoundCloud, it's not nothing that really stops you except just like a button that says like, "Do you own the rights to this?" And you can click yes. Although, okay, the tech is starting to catch up. It's starting but. to catch up, and you know I'm working with a very famous artist grandson who released something on SoundCloud, and now is clearing it after the fact. And we, they want us to tell this this copyright holder, you know, we legitimately did this, and he was excited, and he posted on SoundCloud. His father's a huge person in the music industry who's deceased or grandfather um one copyright holder said it's cool here's the quote another copyright holder said how dare you you want 100 percent of the copyright we went back and we we groveled saying you know please don't do this to him he was excited you know it, it was only in soundcloud it wasn't for sale but we know it was wrong and they reduced down to 40 percent wow so do you is that a, do you think that that's like an effective tactic to be like, look, I, I don't want to pay for the clearance up front. Now, I mean, I know that you're in this business, so you might have a different answer. You know, but- the thing is, it, it bites you in the long run. We're going back and re-clearing remix tapes of really big artists. You know, Cole's done it, some other big names I can't even mention. You know, released these remix albums, or these mix albums, with samples that they didn't clear, and now they're going back and clearing it. It's going to cost a fortune. So, if you choose not to clear something, you have to be prepared for two consequences. One, cease and desist and it gets pulled down. Or two, you pay a higher fee than had you cleared it originally. And, and then if you don't have the money, consider using TrackLib, the company I'm, I'm affiliated with, where they've got <clears throat> pre-existing copyrights like the Aaron Fugues material, the Tough City stuff, at really great prices that you can afford. So what we're saying is there are places you can go out there and you can sample and not spend a lot of money and still have that great new sound to it. So TrackLib is a place where you can do that. What is What exactly is TrackLib? TrackLib, T-R-A-C-K-L-I-B.com. TrackLib is a company based out of Sweden 
and they actually came to me <clears throat> my one-year anniversary where they asked me to come on board and be partners with them because not everything's going to get cleared through DMG. But we have close to 70,000 pre-existing tracks from all over the world of really great stuff. And so instead of you digging through the crates of YouTube or Apple, you dig through the crates of Tracklip, but the music's already pre-cleared. These aren't beats. These are songs. These are library from VP Records and, and Daptone and we've got Abco on board. We've got some really big names um, and some majors will be coming on board hopefully by the end of this year. So we've got some really great stuff. That's awesome. And it's just like you sign, you log in, you sign up and you can kind of select. And, and, and there's no fee to, to use Tracklib just to check it out. So, you know, you, you log on, get an account and then start digging through the crates. And they actually have the stems that you're going to sample from. Oh wow, that's really cool. Oh yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's amazing. So what do you, what is like your stance on sample recreations? You mean doing an interpolation where you're mm -hmm. or replay? I think it's awesome. If you don't have the money and you have the ability to do that, <clears throat> do it. If you don't have the money and you have the ability to recreate something, change it and make it your own. Right. I mean, <clears throat> I'm not anti-sampling. Um, I'm just pro-clearance and, and staying within a budget. And so I show people how to do that. If you don't have any money and you have the ability to create something, create it. So is so because I know a lot of people don't even know that they need to get samples cleared. I know, which is or, crazy because sampling's been around for forever. It's forever. But well, I think it's more like you, you hear it, like you hear it on the radio, and you're like, oh snap, they like this is the trend, right? Like, mm -hmm. let's say Kanye, right? Because I feel like for me personally, even though I know it was around, I didn't really understand the magnitude of it until I heard like Kanye do it. Mm -hmm. Then I think that's because it was there were vocals in it. Right. So before when people were sampling, it was like you really had to kind of be a connoisseur mm -hmm. of music to be like, oh yeah, like that was from the Isley, like oh that Biggie small, that was from the Isley so. Brothers. I do because I know people. So like, yeah, but it's funny because for like big, my, yeah, my daughter old, now, yeah. my daughter now, she listens to a ton of music on. So I mean, the, her consumption rate is insane. Yeah, and. What's common right now is to take like full phrases or like melodic ideas and like re kind of sing them, and it's kind of a nod, mm -hmm. you know, to some degree, yeah, which I guess gosh. sampling has always kind of been. Exactly. Um, but she has no idea where the the original songs come from. I'm like, oh yeah, like that's an old genuine song. She's like, what's that? Boom! I like, look it up. It's like, oh yeah, like that's this. But what's great is when it's three times removed. So then it's like, oh look, that's this song. It's like, wait. This is a song from the 90s, and then it's like, oh, wait, that was a song from the 70s. Yeah. Like, that kind of stuff is, it's really neat, but, so, like, for my daughter, she doesn't even know the first step, let alone, like, the second step back. This and is where you start educating her, because then that young generation gets a taste of really great music, and that's what happened with my 18-year-old, where, you know, he listens from the Gorillas to, to Snoop to Marshall to bees all over the place, and it's not just a particular artist. <clears throat> and then, you know, we were listening to the Gorilla song that Snoop was on, and he's singing the, the Revolution Will Not Be Televised. I'm like, you know, that's Gil Scott Heron. He's like, what? And then he started getting into Gil Scott Heron. So it's great. Teach these kids. Let, like them hear it, let them enjoy it, and then they go discovering new stuff. And that's so, what's awesome. So is there a way, or is there anything out right now, because I don't even know, I'm curious, um, for like sample identification. So if I were an artist, I'm like, oh, like, where does that come from? Like, maybe I don't even know that it is a sample. Mm. How do I, is there a thing like on Spotify or anywhere that gives me the, the information? The technology is starting to get there, but it, it's not quite there yet. And people who go to Who Sampled has a lot of inaccuracies in there. Um, 
But sometimes what I'll do is I'll, I'll hear a phrase of words and I'll just type that in, send you lyrics, and I type in those lyrics and I see what pops up. And sometimes you can find it that way, see where it, where it originated from. Hmm. So but then my ears are the ones that are like, oh, I know that bass line, I know that, that hook, I know that melody. Right, just, so you're like an encyclopedia of music to some degree. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like from top to bottom though. Because yeah. you kind of got to know, like, oh, like that, that bass line came from this or, you know, yeah. that. Because I didn't even know, what was it? Um, uh, I want to say it was Future. He had done a song, I'm, I'm blanking on it right now, but the sample came from like Selma. Mm-hmm. Like an older, like 70s, like kind of jazz album. Right. I, that, so, and then when I watched the music video, and the video had like elements of like the march and, mm-hmm. you know, inequality, I was like, wow, that's really neat that I had, it was Mask Off. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that's really neat that they tied the sample, which is like Selma, into the music video. But the song to me had like nothing to really do with it, but it was like kind of subliminal. Yeah, you just, you know, that's what's really creative about artists. And that's again why I love the genre of music. I love sampling, I love the art side of it. And I love how uh, the contemporary artists that do this bring things together like that and try to like not smack your face with this information, but to make sure that that you're aware of it and that it becomes relevant. Right. So, for uh, what do you say for someone who's like, Hey, I want to get my music. Like, okay, I got it cleared. Let's. I have my samples, everything. I'm trying to get distribution channels outside of SoundCloud and Spotify. Like, are there any other channels that you would recommend? That's not just like the ones that are being super saturated at the moment. Right. Like, I mean, I don't. I'm not really involved with the distribution. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of people are doing independent through E1. BMG's distributing a lot of stuff. Like Big Crit's new album is uh, coming out on on BMG. Um, I think Eric Sermon's E1. So, you know, everyone's using these different companies, um, the Orchard. Um, so there are places. Right. Um, so then what if I want to get my music on TV or in ads because you said that you guys do, like, clearance and stuff. Like yeah, that. I mean, that's, that, that that's hard. I mean, usually if you're signed to a label or a publishing company, they're the ones that will do it for you. Um, I mean, there are individuals individuals out there that have companies that just sit there and they pitch all day. all day and it's not something I would ever want to do I mean sometimes I'm on these private Facebook sites saying you know I'm looking for this kind of music for you know I was working on the Eric Garner documentary and I, you know I couldn't get it uh, Childish Gambino's This Is America he's very protective of that song but that is just so representative of what's happening in America right. <clears throat> so I'm like well who's got something that they can pitch to me and oh my god I was overwhelmed with like 50 songs that people were pitching to me to replace that. So how did you get into that? Like, I'm curious, how, how did you get into the world of like, kind of music supervision and, and stuff? I think I fell into it. I mean, <clears throat> I think it's because I, I, I had this background with that genre of music. Um, and music supervision is not my favorite thing to do. I really prefer doing clearances, but I, you know, even I though you're awesome at it, <laughs> for those who don't know, uh, Deborah did all of the music clearancing, uh, the music supervision for uh, the Defiant Ones Defiant on ones. HBO. Yes, that, that was me. And uh, now I'm music supervisor for a couple new projects. One I'm not allowed to mention, but a 1960s um, uh, African-American songstress <clears throat> who is just phenomenal and so actively involved in the music industry today. I'm doing a, finishing up a documentary with her. Um, and then I've got two that we've just started, um, which is a Black Women of Rock and um, Johnny Cube Blues. So, I mean, I've got a couple, I've got, and there might be one other one, so I've got a couple of projects I'm music supervising. 
and then I'm just like doing the clearances, you know, the Grand Theft Auto. We just did Red Dead Redemption, which just came out and broke records. And oh, then, yeah, that game was great. And then next year we'll be starting another, hopefully another Grand Theft Auto. So, and there, Ivan Pavlovich is the music supervisor, and but I clear the, the thousands of songs that we consider using in the game. So how does that work? Like, when a, a video game company is like, hey, we want to put this music in, do you just go directly to the artist? Do you go to their label? Do, no, like their... no, no, you never go to the artist. You're going to go to the publisher. Okay. He handles the, the music uh, for the writers. And <clears throat> we go to the label that controls the master rights of the recording. So those are the two parties. Um, I could always go to managers, but I try never to do that out of respect that let the labels and the publishers go to their people directly. Okay. So, um, and I think that's a mistake a lot of people do is like, they're in a rush, we're going to call Raphael Sadiq and make it happen. I'm like, don't do that. You know, go to Universal and get it done properly. So it, do people, when you say like, because they're, they're in a rush, is it a long process to, to do this and go through the I labels? Mean, or go sometimes through? it is. I mean, we just did, um, God, I think it was like two weeks ago, because before Thanksgiving, where um, the label contacted me for an album was about to release, an, uh, an artist was about to release an album. And went, oh my God. We found another uh, sample, and it was 11 o'clock at night, and the copyright holders were in California, and I'm like, I can't make this happen. I can't do this, and I needed to clear by 3 p.m. the following day, and I was in New York. I was in a car driving, so I wasn't even able to do anything, and I woke up at like 5 in the morning. I'm like, okay, how can I make it happen? And by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I had it cleared. That is not a common situation, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, we just worked. But that on definitely is why you're the person. I mean, we just worked on something that we got the quote in. And it took us four months, and because it took four months, the artist pulled the sample. Wow. So you know, it, it varies um, case by case. Does that happen often? Where they pull it? Right. Sometimes we recommend to pull it. I mean, we just did something with um, with Nicki Minaj for the new animated Spider-Man movie. The copyright holder was being very unrealistic, and we told Nicki's team pull it. And she pulled it. Wow. So if someone's not going to be reasonable, um, we can't let them get away with it. This is sampling. This is not world peace. This right. is not a cure for cancer. This is licensing of music, whether incorporated into a new um, copyright or being synced up to a visual. And so we shouldn't be mean. We shouldn't be nasty. We shouldn't be aggressive. We should all be enjoying ourselves. Um, and no one should take advantage of someone else. And so if I see that happening, I see how I can circumvent that situation. How did you get into like understanding, I mean, I'm sure experience for sure, but like what the value of a sample is or of a particular sample, how did you That's really open to, to interpretation if you think about right. it. You know, you might hear something that's really small and say, you know, it only has like 1.5% or 2% value and the publisher's like, we, don't, we won't quote under 15%. With Marshall's last album, we were like, well, if you can't do it for like 5%, then he won't use it and you're gonna get nothing on an on a, on a Eminem album. And the publishers were really accommodating. Had that been a nobody artist that said the same thing, they would've been like, we're gonna take a chance. So you have to look at every situation. Um, but conversely, if it's Marshall or if it's Khaled or if it's, it's Drake, I ask people not to overquote. Meaning fee-wise, like, oh, well, it's going to sell a couple million units, so, so I want, we want to up the, the advance, and, and I will always say no. Um, so I tried to do that to Khaled two albums ago, I'm like, we're going to pull it, you know, and uh, I mean, I, I play poker a lot of times with these people. Khaled had no interest in pulling it, but he knew I needed to get it down, right. the quote, and it worked. 
So does all of the, the fees and so because you said like in advance, mm -hmm. like where does where does the money come from? Okay, so there are two types of um, fees. There's an advance and then there's a recoupable advance. Or, you know, so there's a fee, meaning that, that money gets paid to the publisher um, and it doesn't go against any future revenue. It's like this fee, but then they're also gonna own a piece of the copyright. On the master side, it's almost always a recoupable advance against um, a royalty rate, a percentage of PPD. Um, where does the money come from? Well, we have to have a budget. So when you're putting together an album, you, you know, back in the day, you would put together a budget for playing, paying musicians and studio time and editing and mastering and all that stuff. You need to have a sample budget. You know, you need to have money to pay for the sample copyrights. I'm working on a big secret project where we had to put together a budget and it was going to be about $750,000 in sample fees is what I, I estimated. Wow. Three quarters um, of a million dollars in sample fees. It had uh, 39 samples. Wow. And that goes down, like, is there, a, is there a discrepancy in the world of sample? Like, is it like, well, if it's this long or if it's this much of a... There's no chart. There's no chart. But, I mean, your publishing fees, the standard is between $1,500 and $3,000 non-recoupable fee per publisher. So that it becomes expensive because if you have four publishers on one song and they each want $2,500... It's ten thousand dollars. Right. On the master side, the fees can range from five thousand to fifteen thousand. So why? I'm curious. Why would you have multiple publishers on one piece of music? You have multiple writers, and they all are something. And they all have different. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And you so, know, is that more common now with like sure. the, the massive amount of writers that have? You mean like Ed, Ed Sheeran's song that has fourteen writers? Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean. The Doors had four writers on their songs, and then it was Doors Music, and it was one publishing entity. You know, but then you look at the more contemporary music, you look at a Beyonce song, a Jay-Z song, Khaled song, Drake, Marshall, you've got a producer, maybe there was a side artist, you know, maybe Rihanna performed on the song, maybe Esther Dean wrote some of the lyrics, maybe Mike willed it. So each of these writers have their own publishing company. And although a lot of publishers have been swallowed up, you still have your four majors. You still have your Warner Chapel, Universal, Sony, ATV, and your BMG. And then you've got the other ones that are out there as well. Right. So that's where, you know, you could be clearing a song with, you know, eight to ten writers and six publishers. Which is different because back in the day with like Funkadelic and Parliament, you look at that, you might see like eight writers. But it was all Bridgeport Music. There's one publisher. Hmm. But even now... So is that better? Because it's more like competitive? Or no? It's just more paperwork? Like more, or, or is, is it more fees to pay out to all of these different people now if you want to get a sample? I clear? think it's good for, for writers to have the abilities to have more than one publisher to pick from. So I think it's all good. I don't like seeing companies being swallowed up, which has happened a lot. Um, you know, and then some writers, and, and I'm not a publishing expert, might have split, their catalog might be split between uh, two copyright holders, uh, the Troutman catalog, a lot of it is split between um, uh, La Strada has a portion through BMG, and another portion is uh, Rubber Band, which is um, A-Side Modern Works. So you could have one writer and two publishers. Hmm. That was just off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that you know, you know, just... It just goes to show, you know, how much knowledge you have and just kind of like how intricate everything can be. Um, one of the things I'm trying to accomplish, like in this podcast, is to, to bring the type of 
like an applicable education to people. I think sometimes there are just things that are kind of overlooked or missed. Um, and with me personally, I just don't feel like a lot of education programs are giving artists or, or writers or people who want to get into the world of publishing or whatever, the type of education that they need? They're not. The Rap Coalition used to, and I, I've been talking to Wendy Day that we need to go out there and start doing roundtables where people can ask these questions and doing discussions. Um, I am now actively involved um, lecturing at colleges and lecturing at music conferences, but that still isn't going to reach everybody. So right. there has to be a need. Um, something has to be done um, where we need to get out there and speak to people. And again, like I said, I want to talk to Wendy Day from the Rap Coalition and see if we can try to get something up and running. We used to do that back in, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. So. So there used to be like Hello. programs or, or yes. seminars or something that you could go yeah, to? And yeah, she used to do that, but it's missing. So there's a need. So if you want to start it up, <laughs> let me know because there's definitely oh, a, a you know the. I think when we first okay. met, the first time that we met was at the Dewey Beach uh, Music Conference and right. we were doing a panel. Um, and one of my tactics okay. in uh, what, getting the what attention of people who were on the panels that I wanted to be able to talk to was uh, to just kind of ask like a, a left field type of question or whatever. And so we okay. talked That'll about, Let's do it for them, man. Uh, you were asking about sales, right. I think. Thank you so much. Like, I appreciate how it. Do you, sell music or whatever and I'm just like well I talk to I talk at schools and I talk at schools and that gives me like a cap on a specific market that I can choose to sell to however I want to like I can put them in any kind of model right um, and at that particular time we were like kind of doing a text-based marketing subscription-based model plan mm -hmm. um, but the point of a, like that's like a byproduct the point of me going to any of the schools and still is just to provide education that I don't think that those kids are, are really getting. Like, They're not. It's, it's not out there. And so, I mean, I do a lot of podcasts, which really helps. I mean, if if you think of any other way for us to do it, then I'm, I'm definitely keen on that. You know, Dewey Beach Music Festival's gone now. Right. I, I don't know if it's ever coming back. I don't believe that it is coming back. Yeah. Um, just from talking to a few different people who were involved with it yeah. um, and talking to Miss Walls. Um, Which is a shame. Yeah, it is. The, the, do you know Suzanne Polinsky? I know the name. Yeah. She was trying to kind of do something down there, too. She does like a musicpreneur um, kind of... It's, it's like a conference almost, but it kind of bounces around. She did one down there right the year right after Dewey Beach Music Festival had stopped. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure if it was something that like really would stay, like stick. I know Senator Coons and I, I've been talking to his office, especially with the Music Modernization Act, um, which he was one of, in the forefront to help pass, and he wants to try to do some stuff here in Delaware. That'd be awesome. You know, so yeah, we'll talk afterwards um, to see what can really be done, because uh, legislation has also been something that I've focused on. That's, that's actually one of the reasons why I've been able to get into so many schools. Um, was kind of attacking the legislation first and being like, hey, look, this is missing. Um, and I understand that it's not like you have a budget to put a classroom together to be like, hey, let's talk about entrepreneurship in the arts or, right. you know, the different facets of education that you're going to need to like polish up on. Uh, so let me go to schools and do it for free, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, sure. And you get the mayor to come out and say that, like, it's great, um, which helps to lend some legitimacy. But ultimately, it's like it's 
it's ridiculous how much work has to go in to providing an education in a field that's such a legitimate field. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's such a legitimate field, especially with the advancements of technology. It's become even more of a field where like people can provide an income for themselves. Exactly. You know? Like you really can. I think that when you, when you deprive people of that avenue of education, you, you know, if you're talking about the economy and stuff, like you're completely disregarding a section of the economy that props a lot of things up. But it's just, it's another avenue for a kid to make a living for himself, to provide for him or his family, uh, or her, her family. Like, I just really don't understand why it's kind of like that, or the type of education that's being given in music is ancient. It's really, really old. Yeah, it's, it's antiquated, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't want to learn about music from 500 years ago. And it's, it's crazy, because... Music from 500 years ago, it's like, 500 years ago, I don't really think, and I don't know, I wasn't around 500 years ago, but I don't think that they were ge- throwing down their throats like, hey, we should really do music from 500 years before this. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, hey, you're pushing, you're pushing forward, because there was, there was a lot of competition, especially like countrywide, like during all of these different time periods, the Baroque period, Classical period, Renaissance period, like you had this massive burst of culture coming out of different places like in Italy and then there's competition there's cultural competitions like okay now you have you know these art songs that are coming out of French and or out of France and you know like everything kind of bounces back and forth I think that we're sort of behind the ball on that especially with being able to do things being able to be like an independent artist and place your music now Um, so you said that you do stuff for Instagram Facebook like have how is that avenue what are you seeing from that avenue because i know that it's kind of brand new it is brand new for them and so they're in the midst of you know they've got their pr licenses in place in the united states they need to work on territory by territory and now i think facebook is hoping to be um a force of nature and to be straight competition for amazon and 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 hulu and for netflix and creating programming yeah Uh, so um a partner of mine the guy who i've worked primarily with uh, ryan knock he landed some music in the like obj series mm-hmm. from lebron uh i think it's like four different episodes that he's got music. so right now he's you know playing the waiting game like oh like we'll see what the what the payout looks like um but i'm like that's kind of how new it is that everyone in like the groups are still talking to each other like we don't know what the numbers look like yet um so do you think that it will i guess we can wait and see but do you, do you think that it'll be a legitimate stream like I do I think it's it's a long road ahead of them but I think um, you know it's 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 a hard game you know Netflix and Amazon are paying out a lot of money for these productions for these programs for these series and how are they making the money back where's the money coming back in it's you know eventually something's going to plateau um, we'll see you know when you have a documentary you have a series and you go to de- you know to deliver it to Amazon or Hulu or, or Netflix you already have to pay for all the music so you've got to already find that money or get a loan pay for everything then deliver it to these companies and get paid and hopefully make sure that you break even or making a profit it's not like you know Free TV, where there's advertisements and you know the revenue is derived from advertising. Right. Hulu does have some form of advertising because they have one part that has advertising and one that does not through subscription. 
Netflix a subscription also. But where do those numbers come in? Is it enough money to help keep bringing in all these projects? So do you feel like it's kind of a bubble that may burst? I don't know. I'm watching it pretty carefully. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much, um, very much involved in doing clearances for a lot of these projects. Um, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I think cable TV is going to eventually disappear and everything's going to be internet based. Yeah. Just like uh, MP3s are going to be gone, which we, we saw that coming years ago. I mean, I do a lot of work with Rockstar and Take Two, and they had told me eight to ten years ago, out drinking, oh, you know, MP3s are going to be obsolete. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Right, like everybody's using them. Right. You need to stream it. Yeah, and everything's streaming. You know, my son is still very old school. I mean, he streams everything, but he will not let me get rid of any of my CDs. I've got about 10,000 CDs and boxes. Oh, that's a lot of CDs. Yeah, yeah, and vinyl. And he's like, you cannot get rid of anything, Mom. Get a storage facility, put it all in there so that when I come back from college, I've got music. And when he was in Europe, he was buying vinyl. Does that, the, so this is very kind of out there, but do you think that there is some kind of, like that it's actually really important to have physical, tangible copies of things just in case like something crazy happens? Like if the internet shuts down for some reason. And I'm old school. You know, when, when the Gorillaz album came out, my son bought it on vinyl, CD and streaming download. Wow. He's he supported. <laughs> yeah, like, totally so, you know, I mean, we, I get about a $500 a month bill of downloads of music. Wow. Yeah, we do a lot of downloading it. And then we pull it out of the app and we put it in our own, our own library. So, do you, um, for the independent artist, we're just kind of talking about Facebook, Instagram. Do you think that there is room that probably just hasn't even really been explored yet as an independent artist to place music in videos on those platforms I definitely, and collect? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, you know, when I work on these projects, um, if a song is good, a song is good. And it shouldn't matter if it's independent or financially supported by a major label. A label is a bank account. It's, right. it's, it's really, it's a bank loan. You know, they you do this record deal for $500,000, they're not giving you $500,000 that you can go skip to my loo. I mean, that is a loan for you to put an album out, and then they use every means of it going against recruitment. And instead of paying interest like you do on a credit card, um, you're not reimbursing, you know, you get 50 cents to the dollar, 75 cents to the dollar, whatever the deal is. Um, and with that bank loan, you know, it used to be that they gave you the marketing, and they gave you this, and they gave you you know, the A&R, you, you know, assistance and legal affairs and all this stuff. But right. everyone hires a manager, everyone hires a publicist, everyone hires an attorney, everyone hires, you know, a booking, you know, you're always hiring outside parties, so what is the, the label, label actually doing? doing? Right. They just I, have the channels. They, yeah. they have certain channels to plug you into that makes right. the access a little, the barriers to entry in areas where there are a barrier. I mean, I'm still trying to understand the Taylor Swift deal. What is Universal getting out of that deal? She just signed with the with the Lipman signed her to Republic. But what what are they getting? She always holds on to all of her rights. Maybe it's just well, I mean, who I don't know what the deal entails, but maybe it's a portion of like the performance, or you know, maybe they can like kind of tag their brand along with something with her. Maybe like um, I, I, it's interesting to me how I see like private businesses doing that with music the way that it used to be done with athletes. Like, 
it's, it's like in fashion and culture like that's kind of always been a thing like pepsi always use musicians and right. you know like nike or whatever but when i think of like beats headphones which and and apple right so like you can see a beats commercial you see like an apple commercial they're like still the same thing and they have artists that are then kind of promoting the platform and yeah. the device right. like yeah it, that's a brand, really yeah that's a really encompassing thing you know and i think for a label maybe there's just even maybe like they're branding it they have, that's i don't think about that that's that's an interesting concept i mean I mean, I'm working with fashion, like I work with True Religion, I've worked with, um, you know, NY Company, worked with Vera Wang, and so, you know, they're always tying, you know, music to their brands, to their clothing, you know, I work with Fenty, which is Puma, and, and that tie-in, um, and, you know, I'm working on some large ad ads right now, where the song is going to end up um, branding the product, and the product is going to be branding the artist, so. Kind of one hand washes the other. And, and, and do you think that there's a lot more of that? Well, kind of like that's kind of where you, you need so. to go. Look at the commercials. I mean, the fact that Capital One used Prince and, and, and Michael Jackson kind of freaked me out. Right. I wasn't a fan of that, but... Because um, they have access now, right? Just, if Prince was alive, he would have never, never done it. Yeah. never done it. I mean, you can tell I'm a huge right. fan. But, um, <clears throat> you know, you're watching car commercials and you recognize the songs. Right? Yeah. You're hearing the Rolling Stones, you're hearing remakes of Stone songs, and, you know... Uh, yeah, there's a Jeep commercial, Michael Jackson. Like, right after he passed. You know, where it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. okay, they yeah. jumped on that so yeah. quick. so, you know, you're seeing that, you know, and it's Christmas time and it's holiday time, and my God, I mean, what you're hearing with the music being used in advertisements right now is crazy. You know, and those are nice big six figures. Right. And it's like four hundred thousand to seven hundred thousand dollar deals. So for an independent artist who's curious, like how, what is a, a channel? Maybe even just one. Like where do they start? Because I'm sure that there are plenty of people who are like, oh, I want to get my song on like a Jeep you know, commercial. They're, how they're, do I do it? Yeah, you know, you, your music's got to get to the ad agencies or get to these people who pitch. I don't pitch. Mm. Um, you know, as a music supervisor, even if I pick a song. You know the director has to like it, and the and, and if you're doing a TV show, it's it's the runner. I mean, there's all these people involved in picking music. It's not just you. Um, and so, what you might think is the perfect song for a Jeep commercial. Um, right, the, the creative ad, director is like, no, 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 or the ad agency or what have you. You know, it's it's not easy. Um, but if it does happen, it's 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 a great uh, springboard. Right. You know, I you know I listen to um, Alt Nation, listen to Sirius Radio in my car, and many times that. Six months later, eight months later, I'll hear one of their songs being used in a commercial. So do you think that uh, radio, like terrestrial radio and satellite radio, are? what do you think about them in terms of the marketplace? Is it still a I'm so bad. Place? I don't listen to terrestrial radio at, at all. all. Well, that's an identifier right there. I do. Like, I really do. Uh, yeah, but conversely, I don't really listen to Spotify. Hmm. So where do you find your new music? YouTube. YouTube. Wow. I read this thing that said, like, still 73% of all music consumption happens on YouTube. Yeah. So it's huge. Huge. Absolutely. Um, and do you, so when you're listening to music on YouTube, you listen to, like, mu you watch music videos, you watch just audio? I don't, wa I don't watch it. I'm, I'm just usually just listening using to it. To and, you know, if I like something, then sometimes it brings up something else. Mm -hmm. So you're just all over the place. You know, uh, being part of Track Lab, sometimes I listen to the music in there because they got crazy shit. 
um, then like people are sampling stuff and I get turned on to something I never heard before and then you start researching who that artist is and who they're affiliated with then you start listening to that and then artists that are similar to that and then you can just like go off on a tangent and spend hours doing that right the the wormhole <laughs> YouTube is great for that I don't know what algorithm they have set up but they have like the best when it comes to just getting sunk like you just get stuck one video after the I next I mean that's, and that's kind of like, you know how my son got turned on stuff like we into like the the nightmare before Christmas. I mean, you, sh you saw the outside of my house. I've got skeletons. Yeah. With Santa hats. That's how we do Christmas in our. Nightmare house. before Christmas is actually like one of my favorite. I mean, Danny Elfman is also one of my favorite composers. Yeah. Like he's amazing. He's amazing. So then they remade the album with more contemporary alternative artists. And so then you get turned onto like the Yoshida Brothers, and you get turned onto like really different things because of that. I think soundtracks are so key. You know, I turned my son on to Baby Driver, and he's like, oh my God, Mom, this is incredible. And then I got, he got turned on to Carla Thomas, Baby, and started going all over the place. And I was like, wow, there's two songs named after you, T-Rex and, and Beck, you know, because the songs are Deborah. So there's so, and then you take that, and then you start exploring, and who was T-Rex affiliated, you know, right. there's so many different avenues. So YouTube is a good one. Um, soundtracks to, to, movies and TV shows, pull it up on your computer, listen to the songs, and then that can take you to other places. There is so much music out there. Don't listen to the same song over and over again. Right. Well, I mean, well, or maybe if you create that music, you're like, hey, listen to my music over right. and over again. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that there's less replay value in music now? Just because it's so saturated, like there's so much music that... It's hard because like only 1% is successful. Right. Yeah, I was looking into this thing that said that, like, I, what, Drake's Gas Plan just went diamond. Mm -hmm. And, like, the album, it was saying that the, what is it, it's like 1,500 streams equals, like, one album sale or something like that yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, it's just so, crazy equation. Yeah, the equivalency is Where? up for debate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's up for debate, but um, it's sold a lot of, of records, but it said that 80% of those sales are really coming out of three songs even though the album's got like 18 or something like that like right. it's got a ton of songs on it let's say no one's listening to anything yeah, else Scorpion. Because... i mean they, but he, he i mean drake's an interesting client i mean he whether you like him or you don't like him i have so much respect for him um i think he's one of the hardest working people in the industry he always has music he's always grinding he's always at it so what's it like working with like I'm looking at these records that you have up here and stuff like what what has it been like in your career being able to work with like such talented musicians? I think what's exciting is not just the talented musicians but their team of people because you can have a really talented artist but it's the team that helps elevate that artist to get out there for everyone to hear it. Mm. So like for Drake, he's got this amazing management team, Mr. Morgan and Future. He has great legal counsel out of the Meyer's office and Lisa Donini. That is what takes someone who's really talented, you know, and Noah, who's the producer at 40, who executive produced his last album, and kind of elevates them up. So I really think it's a team. It's a team effort. You know, we can say the same thing with, like, Logic, I think, could be in the next Drake, in all honesty. Um, Harrison Remler is from uh, Team Visionary is his, his management. And then he's got the law firms, you know, with uh, Matt Cutler and, and, and Paul. And so... 
And then Logic, he's got, he just dropped, you know, an album. Six months later, he dropped another album. Six months later, he'll probably have another album ready. Right. You know, he's always grinding. He's always writing. He's always working. And then he's got people who support him and what he wants to do. So do you think that putting out, like right now, we're in a time where it's just like put out music? Yeah, you can't, you know, look how quickly Marshall did two albums in a row like that. You've never seen that before. You have to stay relevant. You have to keep putting out product. And we're in a digital age where you have the ability, you know, if I have a deadline on Friday, it means because the product's going out Saturday. It used to be that you needed X amount of time for it to go to the, the, the press and to yeah. print it and to do the artwork. And, you know, because we're in a digital age, everything is really fast. Yeah, it's crazy how, like, I mean, in the world of advertising and stuff, I'm more used to it. I'm used to like the deadlines coming in. It's just like, hey, like this has, this is a 5 p.m. thing, you know, Pacific Standard Time, or whatever. And you're trying to get it through, or maybe you want to get it through a little earlier because you got a plug, and they're gonna be like, hey, look, they're not gonna like this. Send it back. Like that. I'm used to it in that world. But then, like just more recently, trying to do more writing with artists and stuff, like um, the Tory Lanez project that just came out. Which I worked it, on. You worked on that too? Yeah. So we were we were writing for, because we have a direct connect to, to Tori, and it's like, yeah, the stuff that's getting finished tonight is being considered for what's going to go on the album like tomorrow. Yes. I was like, what? Like, the stuff being done right now is going to get heard and could end up on the album. Metro Boomin's right. album was like that. We were working up until like he thought he was done, and he kept creating, and then there was more music. That's and he was another great person to work with. I mean, here's someone who was a producer that kind of crossed over as an artist and had a great team and was just phenomenal to work with. It was a great album. I love the uh, the album title. What um when you're working like that, like do the clearances come? Like so, let's say he wants to do a track like, and it's going to end up on. Hey, I, I made a track tonight but it's got a sample in it, but I want to upload it and put it out tomorrow. Does that, are you ever in a situation like that where you're like, wow, um, you might need to wait or sure. yeah, I want to try to get it. But I'm always, you know, God, when these artists are just so kind and great to deal with, I work my butt off to try to, you know, achieve that deadline that they've created for me. And you're working on both sides too then, right? Like, so not only are you like, hey, I'm gonna try to get this cleared for you, but then you gotta go to the other people and yeah, say like, and beg yeah, yeah, be like, hey, by the way, can we please yeah. use this? And so when when they say no, what? how often does it happen that people are like, no, you can't use this? About 1%, but usually we tell people, we usually know when it's gonna be a no. We tell people and they still have us try. And yeah, like, um, it's very difficult to clear LL Cool J. He's very protective of his copyright. And so if someone small comes to us, you know, LL obviously cleared for Marshall, but when a smaller artist came to us, we had warned them that it was going to get denied, and it did. So for what, what reasons might an artist say no? Just because they don't like your... I can't answer for LL, um, who is my client and is the nicest, sweetest person on the phone. Just so kind and respectful. Um... But then there are people like Anita Baker who just doesn't want her stuff sampled. She created it a certain way and wants it to stay in that pure form, and she's always denied. And even when friends have gone to her, Faith Evans wanted to sample her, and they're friends. And she's like, you know, if I give it to you, I have to give it to someone else. I've got to stay with where I am, and I respect her. 
for that. I have a lot of respect for right, that. Right, because I, realistically, someone could just say, yes, I want to make more money. Like, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're no longer a relevant artist anymore, and then someone's like, hey, I want to sample your stuff, it's technically like a way that you can generate an income for yourself exactly. off of music that's not really generating an income. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it even, your sample goes into this track and that blows up so you make money off of that, but then people want to find out where the sample came from. Oh, that sample's really cool, and they go back to your... So I guess that is a really, like... Do you think many artists are really purists like that? Where they're just like... Um, I don't think many artists are purists, but I think the people who are, you need to respect that. Hmm. Um, And, and, you know, like, again, going back to the track loop thing, when I approach people, they're like, well, why would I put my stuff in track loop if people are already sampling my stuff? My answer is, don't give me the stuff that people are sampling. Give me the stuff that isn't earning any revenue. Put it in a right. track lib, get it that exposure, because once people start sampling it, then everyone else is going to want to sample so it. So it's like a music library of sorts. Except it's it's top amazing material from these, these incredible record labels and music publishers. You know, you could have a catalog of 5,000 songs, and you might have 200 that isn't earning any revenue. Give me the 200 that isn't earning revenue, and see if we can get it out there. So we'll earn revenue. Right. And so it's not a library per se. It's it's well, it's a sample library. It's stuff that's pre-cleared for sampling, but it's material that's was out there that had a life that made money, but isn't anymore. But isn't anymore. Right. So that's really neat. Who did you? Can you say like who you started this company with? Or you said you. Came I didn't in start with? it. I didn't start it. Um, it was started out of Sweden. Okay. Um, per Amquest is the one who started it with his friend Eric, and. Um, Tommy Silverman here in the United States is one of the partners, and then they brought me on board. I joined them November 1st of last year. Of last year. Mm-hmm. Wow. And just because I believed in what they were doing and I liked them as people, as individuals, um, that's actually what got me. Was I like the people, people. their hearts, their, it was all in the right place. And um, I just took off from there. I've read something, I believe anyway, I believe that I read something that's you were involved in some kind of technology for sample identification? Is this... No? No, TrackLib isn't sample identification. I mean, I'm involved Maybe with not the even for TrackLib. Um, I am involved with um, Artist Development League, which is a springboard for artists to help get them get branded and to kind of have like this ticker of tracking um, their music and how well they're doing. And based on how they're doing on social media, ad agencies can you know, look at their territory, look at where they're doing, and then possibly take one of their products and brand it to that artist. And that's free to sign up for as well. So I know because I'm signed up for the Artist Development oh, League, but okay. yeah. just for just to plug it, um, in case there's an artist who hears this and would like an opportunity, because one of the things um, that you were just saying is like a publisher could look at it or, or someone just Anyone like, hey, could look at it. Exactly. Valuable. Exactly. That's the whole point of it. It shows the, the value. But, you know, again, you as the artist and your team is what's going to make you valuable doing these shows, getting that attention, getting on social media. I mean, that's the generation. I'm 53 now before there was any of this shit. And now you've got social media, which is what the, the young people are using, the youth are using. And you need to use social media as a means of connecting with your fans, getting information out there, getting people to go to shows. And so that's, you know, ADL takes that information, organizes it so that, let's say, 
a clothing company that is a, a local clothing company that specializes in certain kinds of t-shirts and sees an artist that would look good for them to wear that t-shirt um, and they're doing an upcoming show and then you coordinate for them to to wear that t-shirt and ADL kind of brings it all together right like a brand placement yeah so ADL what's the website that people could go to, to for ADL yes I think it's artistdevelopmentlink.com. Okay, so we'll post that. But you'll link. post that. Yeah, and we'll then tracklib is tracklib.com. And then there's dmgclarences.com. I don't mean to be so involved in all this stuff, but I mean, if I believe in something and someone comes to me, then I'm going to I'm gonna be involved. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you're preaching to the choir because I, certain, I certainly know. You know, you've been such an, an asset and just like even kind person. You know, I think like that's the greatest thing about you. Um, and so many people in the industry, but you know, you're, you're just a genuine soul, honestly. Like, you know, I can send you a message and just like check in and be, I, cause that's more like me, <laughs> like as a person, like I really care about the people, you know? And so like when I'm able to reach out to someone and it's not just so like, it's, it's nice. It's a, there's an element of warmth there where I can feel like, no, if you, if you needed something from me that had nothing to do with music, I would go do that. Right. Well, that's like, like, like when you went to Puerto Rico, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, I was exactly. doing the fundraising thing, um, which is still just like a complete mess in Puerto Rico, where it we need really to get is. the money there. And you know, now Cruz and Trump are, are, are at odds. And I mean, look at where her country is going. We're a country that we were supposed to you know, send us, you're sick, you're poor. You know, let us help. You know, right. and and now we're throwing tear gas at people. Yeah, and you know what? it's rough. And you right know what? Now. If they were white and they were barging uh, the the, the wall right. in Canada, they would not be throwing tear gas at them. Right. That's straight up. Let's let's. Yeah, just, no, you're absolutely you know, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's called right. a duck when you see a duck, and um, yeah, the same. I mean, same thing with like all of the you know domestic terrorism that's going on right now that doesn't get labeled that way. And, which it needs to. Yeah, yeah. it's it, there. Are, we all know that it needs to. We all know that it's like it's not going to. The, the, well, I think the blue wave is coming. And, you know, I, if I say anything to my clients, being in the music industry, and if you've got the ability, and if you've got the power to get out there and get the word out, you know, I, I, think, um, I think artists are more powerful. Uh, you know, Katy Perry hurt, her career got hurt supporting Hillary Clinton, which really is so disappointing. You know, um, and it scared a lot of musicians. Of artists from taking a stance. Like for taking a stand like that. but. I think the wave, the blue wave is coming, change is gonna come, and I think, you know, and you know, we've got great people like Scooter Braun, who is just so actively yeah, involved. Scooter is out here. You know, <laughs> like, really, out there, yeah. very active, you know, he was there, you know, supporting Hillary, and he will not, you know, ever back down, you know, and, um, and whether you liked Obama or not, I loved him, I thought he was one of the best presidents we've had in my, in my lifetime, and again, I'm only 53. Um, well, I agree with you, and I'm only you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> The thing was, he 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 was never as liberal as people set him out to be. He he always was a down the down the road Democrat. He never made these crazy liberal promises, and they were mad that he didn't. They thought, you know, because he's African American, that he would do that. He sh he shouldn't have to do that. Right. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in our next election, and I hope mus the music industry gets out there and supports it. And makes changes in our country. Do you think that the independent artist plays a role in that as well? Like Absolutely. you know, like in the, I feel like in the late or in, I guess not even the late, but like in the sixties and seventies, I feel like there was a lot of music that was just like yeah, social change type 
absolutely look at the Vietnam War and the social change that music tried to do. I think, I think especially the hip hop and rap community needs to get out there and to get the vote out there. If people of color all went out and voted, there would be a change. Granted, there's, there's, you know, um, people who are being prevented to vote. Oh yeah. Um, and that's a huge problem, especially in the southern states. But I think if people cared, because you know the young people don't care. They're like, we don't like anyone, so I'm not going to vote. Right. You or that I don't feel like my vote can do anything. Can do anything. But if you looked at our country, the white man is a minority. Right. And so if we got out there and we got out there and voted people of color and women and the youth, we could make a change. They could make the change that's needed in the United States. Yeah, totally. Because you're, you're about to lose health care. I mean, a lot, I think a lot is, is getting a lot. Right, right now what I see certainly is, is kind of like a pullback to be like, look, just because of population, we are losing, like, you know, if you're a white male, you're definitely losing in terms of population. But what you still have is you still have influence and affluence. Exactly. If you're, so you're, you're still at the top. And and I think what it, like, there's been this progression that's kind of happened. Well, first it was like, okay, well, voting was just like white men with property. So it was just like rich white men. So you know all the people that were elected were just going to be right. rich white men. And then it's like, okay, well, white men, period. Like, if you don't have property, it's okay. But that's fine, too, because it was easy then to control those people and just be like, oh, well, these people are already in place. And then it's, you know, women. And, and it, so it keeps extrapolating itself down but then you you're starting to lose like the concentration that you have because not even like yeah i was born in 89 during that time period essentially it was just the same families running the country you know it's right. like bush and then clinton and then bush and then and then even running for president again is just like another bush is still running for president like mm -hmm. and there's still governors or mayors or senators and so it's the same families, the same groups of people all of the time. Look at the Senate. Look at the House of Representatives. I mean, at least the House of Representatives is now changing. Where, you know, the Senate is still old white men. But, um, yeah, so I think, I think, so take the chance, the rapper. Take, you know, Jay-Z was very active with Obama. He yeah, should be really back was. out there getting people to vote. Puff needs to get out there and tell people to vote. These right, he was like doing the runs and stuff in New York. It was like, right. yeah. Everyone needs to get out there and tell people to vote and let them know their vote counts. And so going back to your question about independent artists, yes, if you're an independent artist and you've got people following you, you have a say and you can make a change. Right. And every person Even like your local community. You can get like your whole city to, to go out and vote. You can motivate exactly. them that with that type exactly. of change. Exactly. Get in the governor that you need or get in the... Because, because hip hop and rap is not a minor, minority based music anymore. You know, it is of the norm. It is, oh, right, it is, it's the pop. It's the pop, pop culture. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if you were smart, you would take advantage of that and use that. Well, I want to thank you so much for lending me your time. Hope that I didn't keep you away from too many things. No, you let me go off on a tangent, which was awesome. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, we, like, I'm here to pr try to provide as much knowledge from. The people who are just right around here, you know, there's mm -hmm. there's so much, like rich culture and rich like the artists and like the biggest songwriter in like the whole country right now is from Delaware, you know, Brittany Hazard, Star. Oh. And it's from Southern Delaware, you know. There's a guy from Southern Delaware right now, Jimmy Allen. He's got the number one country song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, like there's a lot here in this 
small little state. Um, and we touch so many other things. You know, we're two hours from New York, an hour from Philly, exactly. or an hour from Baltimore. Two hours from Washington. Two hours from D.C. Yeah. yeah, so there's there's a lot that is right here. Um, and so anything that I can do to, to take the people here and put them on to anyone else that could probably help them or just change their mindset, um, that's what I'm here to do. So thank you for it's my pleasure. allowing me. Thank you. Thank you. That wraps up another episode of the McCove Mindset Podcast. If you appreciated any of the information in the discussion today, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Every bit of support is appreciated, and I want to continue to bring you content that will enhance your career, your life, and your overall mindset. So again, thank you for listening, and I'll see you soon.